Welcome into the newest episode of Side Mission. Like always, I'm your host, Rusty Ellis, joined today by just one of the boys, Thacker. And today we are talking about one of the newest releases on the Nintendo Switch. Another release for the Nintendo Switch. It's been a really, really busy year for them when you go back and look for it. This one, it's Fire Emblem Warriors 3 Hopes, a Muso genre spinoff from Three Houses, the last mainline Fire Emblem title in the franchise. And Thacker, I know that really neither one of us, and I feel like we say this quite a bit for some of these games, I know we said it for sure for the quarry, at least this wasn't really a game that was high on either of our radars. This was a game that more or less we were like, okay, it's one of it's a Musou game, it's a Warriors game, you know, Hyrule Warriors, Age of Calamity was really good, uh, Persona 5 Strikers was a really good Musou title as well. Uh, this was more or less just another launch that we were like, okay, let's get this, see if we like it, and... I don't know about you, Thacker, because, you know, we talked here and there about this game. Um, I think to this point in the year, and there's still a lot of big releases coming so far, I think this is probably my second favorite game that's come out this year. I really, really enjoyed this game. Uh, Thacker, what were your overall thoughts before we dig into specifics for this game? Well, to be honest with you, man, I'm, I've am i always loved the Muso games genre as a whole just because they're good to just kick back and kill some time with. Yeah. Big and time. when this game came out, I seeing it being advertised and everything, I wasn't super excited for it. Cause I was like, okay, it's another Muso game. I'll pick it up later and see, and just kill some time pretty much. <clears throat> but after, after thinking about it and remembering the love that I had playing the fire emblem path of radiance strategy game, all the way back on the GameCube. Throwback. Um, oh, way throwback. Like, <laughs> love the game. Great strategy game. If you want, I'll bring it with us when we go to Cookville. Yeah, you'll need to do that because I actually, I actually would like to see what the older ones look like for sure. I think that, so for those who don't know, the Musou games, that obviously also includes, like, the most popular Musou game is what, probably Dynasty Warriors? Yeah, um, Dynasty Warriors is the most, actually, I looked it up myself. It Dynasty Warrior Eight, to be exact, the Extreme Legend Complete Edition. That is the number one Muso game that has ever been made. So, like in terms of sales, it's number one. Uh, just franchise alone, um, along with the fact of how well it did. Okay, so like critic. Okay, I got you. I got you. Okay, so that makes sense. I think that the the thing that sticks out to me when I think about the Muso genre is. This is a love-hate genre. You either really, really love this genre or you really don't. In fact, I don't remember what YouTube channel it was. I think it might have been What Culture that I was watching a few years ago. I don't know. They absolutely trashed like Dynasty Warriors. They there are people that can't stand these kinds of games because ultimately, and Thacker, you tell me if I'm wrong here. They ultimately do boil down to a little bit of button mashing. There is a little bit of strategy that goes into it, and there's a lot of strategy in this game. We'll get deeper into that as we get further on into this episode. A lot of these games, it does boil down to just pressing one or two buttons over and over and over, defeating hundreds of enemies, putting together putting together thousand-hit combos. And for some people, that's really cathartic, and it's really fun. And I think in this game, for me, it was a lot of fun. I, I would imagine you felt the same way, but again, you can tell me if I'm wrong. There are a lot of people that don't like this. What What do you think makes this game different from other Muso titles? Um, I think the one thing that makes this game completely different from any other Muso game 
And I, I cannot wait to see an updated list of the top 10 Musou games, um, especially because for some reason, One Piece Pirate Warriors 4 is ranked at number six. I've um, never even heard of that. That's crazy. Oh, dude. It, oh, it was so bad. Like, there was a Gundam. <laughs> there was a Gundam game that was a Musou game, and it was better than One Piece. But we'll, that's another discussion later. But no, like, I love the Musou games. They're a lot of fun, like I said, to kick back and just kill time. This one definitely brought in a new aspect to it with not only having the Musou style, but also bringing the new aspects into it, such as like character abilities, combined abilities, just everything all together, which I know we're going to talk about more of. But honestly, like this game did a lot more to the Musou style than I've seen for a while. I will tell you, and this is where I think we should probably throw up a, a solid little spoiler warning. If there's anybody that you know hasn't played this game that wants to, I think that I think that with games like this, the best way to experience them is to go in completely blind and not really know what to expect. Um, so that's a spoiler warning. If you don't want to hear spoilers about this game, obviously you know click off here. But I do think that the story is at the is at the forefront of this game, and it's a refreshing. It's a refreshing change of pace for Musou games because up until really Hyrule Warriors Age of Calamity, the story of, of any game in this kind of genre is never really at the forefront. Like, really, you're here for the gameplay. You're, you're here for the for the mindless gameplay. The almost, it's almost where you're, like, you're just kind of like mechanically going through it. And that's a good and bad thing, and you know we'll talk more about that. But I Real think quick. that... Go ahead. All right. Um, I was going to say, like, if you are about to click off, like, at least make sure you come back and, like, see if you agree with us on this game. Yeah, for like, sure. Hey, like, we always I welcome other opinions. Yeah, for real, because without those opinions, we're just sitting here talking to each other. Exactly. <laughs> we're, we're, literally, we're literally just chilling in Discord talking to each other otherwise. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, like, the story, what I love most about this game, and honestly, if I had to rate this game, I'd probably give it a solid 9 out of 10. I, th I think that highly of it. What I like about this game is the way it parallels to Fire Emblem Three Houses, which was the last mainline Fire Emblem title that released, a game that I just started playing about a month and a half or so ago, and I absolutely love I absolutely love Three Houses. I think it's one of my, one of if not my favorite Switch title right now, and that says a lot because there's a lot of great Switch titles out there. But Three Hopes really does parallel Three Houses in the sense that this is how the story of Three Houses would have played out if one or two events had happened a little differently. So in this one, you play a mercenary by the name of Shez. It can be a female or male protagonist. I had the female protagonist, Thacker. I don't remember which one. Which one did you have? I did the female as well. You did the female as well. I know. I know. Matt did the male. He is not on this episode because he was just too busy when we were when it came time to record. Uh, so you can obviously, as in all JRPGs like this, you can choose male or female, and you play this mercenary that runs into the leaders from the officers' academy at Garrig Mock Ministry, which obviously the three leaders obviously are Edelgard, Claude, and Dimitri. You run into them, and supposedly, based on everything I've seen, I watched a lot of videos to prepare for this episode to make sure I got everything right. At this point in the timeline, and Thacker, you're about to get a little bit of a Three Houses, kind of a little bit of a history lesson from Three Houses, not too much. but All good. But this, their meet, the meeting between Shez and the three house leaders occurs 
as those three are on the way to the first village that they that you meet up with them in in three houses, which is where you play as Byleth. That is where Byleth and Gerald meet the three leaders, the, the three you know house leaders originally in three houses. Is that village? Shez meets them before then, ends up taking essentially taking Byleth's place. Only she doesn't go there. Only you know Shez doesn't go there as a teacher. Goes there as a student, and then obviously events transpire, and you end up as essentially a soldier in a war. Uh, but I love how it parallels and it shows. I've always loved things that talk like they deal with like the butterfly effect about how like one little event can change a ton of stuff around you. And that's, I loved that shit in this game about how it drastically changed everything on the Fire Emblem storyline from Three Houses because of instead of them meeting Byleth and Geralt in the village and helping them take down the bandits, they end up meeting Shez. Shez helps them take down the bandits instead. And Shez goes back to the ministry with them. And I think that that's really, really interesting. I love, again, that parallel to Three Houses. I think that finding a way to tie this game into that is what makes this special. It's kind of like what Hyrule Warriors Age of Calamity did for uh, Breath of the Wild. It, it found a way to tie into Breath of the Wild, be kind of that alternative universe to Breath of the Wild. And it's why that game did so well when it reviewed. It reviewed well because the gameplay was good despite frame rate drops, and there's definitely those in this game as well. But it also worked a lot more because the story was really, really good. The story was really well written and people really enjoyed that story. And I think that Three Hopes, the story here of, you know, we both chose the Black Eagles for our house. So we both followed Edelgard. Matt did too. None of us chose Dimitri or Claude. Although I will say, although I will say, if I could go back and if you made me go back and choose somebody different, after playing this game 100%, I would choose Claude. Yep. because I, I he is a character I completely flipped my opinion of him. I did not I don't love Claude in Three Houses. I just there's something about him I didn't like. In this game, his entire his entire arc from Edelgard's perspective, I loved every second of it. Even though I kind of knew I could kind of see what was going to happen, I loved every second of it, and there was part of me that was like, I really appreciate this character now. And that's the other part, Thacker, and I'll let you kind of touch on this a little bit. The characters really drive this story well, you know, in addition to the writing and all that, because the characters, they feel realistic. They all feel different and unique. Do all of them land? Not really. There's a couple that don't really land, but the characters... (laughs) <laughs> uh, I'll go, uh, so from Edelgard's from Edelgard's storyline, I was not a huge fan of Caspar. Was not a huge fan of fan of Ferdinand, and I definitely was not a huge fan of Bernadetta. Bernadetta was kind of annoying after a while. Um, oh my god! But really, like we talked about Petra, like Petra's one of the best characters in the game. There's a lot oh, of depth dude. there. She's awesome. Dorothy is awesome. Love Hubert. I think he adds a lot to this game as kind of that that advisor to Edelgard who doesn't really trust anybody. He add, he. You don't you don't like Hubert? I don't. I I think he was a shit starter to begin with. From oh, later, chapters. you don't like him because he didn't like you. <laughs> No, especially in later chapters where, spoilers, um, somebody tries to assassinate Edelgard and out of nowhere he's just like, oh, I'm going to make this your grave. And almost kills one of his own teammates. To be, to be fair, here. to be fair, Monica was kind of a weirdo as well. Monica's kind of weird. Now, I will say, Hubert... Monica not, had not, a thing for 
Oh, Edelgard. Definitely, like, Monica definitely has a thing for. That was one of the funniest things in the middle of battles when I'd be, I'd be just going through a couple hundred enemies, and it would tell me that Monica was at low health. She'd be like, "I can't disappoint Lady Edelgard." I'm like, "Who are you again?" Like, like, and here's the thing: yeah. when you're going to build those relations with the characters, if you go to hers to give her a gift and you look at her likes, legitimately, they're the same the as Edelgard. Edelgard. Yep. And I'm like, really? <laughs> are you that big of a fucking simp? She's a fan, man. <laughs> She's a fan. Like, are you that big of a simp? Now, I will say, I see your point about Hubert. I do see your point because there was a part of me that was like, so this is this dude that's super cocky, and then in this moment, he gets really arrogant and really reckless. But I don't know. I, I guess I've had some time. So, for full disclosure, I beat this game a week and a half ago. <laughs> Yep. And I've kind of had some time away from it. I binged it when it first came out. Yeah, exactly. Like I uh I I played about twenty five hours worth of this game in the first like five days it was out. So I binged this game and I it, mainly because I really enjoyed it. I mean obviously there's part of it that okay, we wanted to get out the recording sooner rather than later, but well, I mean, you also played the demo, so you had a jump start on. Yeah, it. I had I had a two hour head start basically. Like I was I was basically done with the prologue when the full game released. So, but I will say, in having some time to kind of get away from the game, I don't know. Hubert grew on me. I, I can understand why people might not like him, but Hubert grew on me, especially when I used him in battle. Like he was OP for me. He was absolutely OP. He was disgusting. What what he could do in battle. Um, I, I I do see the negative sides to him. But I, I thought Hubert was great. And then I'm not going to lie. I mean, the character for me that works the most in this game, period, um, is Edelgard. Edelgard works the most for me, period. Because I look at the three leaders, and I'm interested to see what you think. I definitely think that Claude had had this kind of, this ego, this air about him. That there was this air of mystery about him. That you didn't really know what he was thinking at, at all times. You knew he was definitely keeping something from you. And... Spoiler alert, as we've said before, when you do form the alliance with him, I thought that was a really cool moment, but the first thing I thought was, he is definitely going to break this at some point. Yep. I don't know how soon. I don't know how, but he's definitely going to break this at some point. But I still thought that there was an air of mystery about him that I actually really liked. Dimitri, I'm just going to be real honest here, Dimitri is Superman levels of boring. That's just the, it's the nicest way to say it, in my opinion. He is Superman. He is basically, and what I mean by that is, let's say, let's say that you could have a beer with anybody from the DC Universe or the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Superman's getting picked last, like, 99 times out of 100 because Superman is a boring superhero. He's a Boy Scout. Yeah, he's a Boy Scout. And that's essentially what Dimitri is. And, like... It's nothing on the voice actor. The voice acting was really, really good. And the voice acting is great throughout the game, even for characters I didn't like. The voice acting is fantastic in this game. And, in Fire, and in Fire Emblem, they're, they're typically always fantastic. Three, Hope, Three Houses is the same way. The voice acting is awesome. But Dimitri is just kind of the Boy Scout that I was. I just I couldn't see myself aligning with him at any point because I didn't feel like in a war, the Boy Scout's not really going to win. Not really going to win. Like, that's yeah. why Edelgard I chose because I also picked her house in three houses. And um, Edelgard's a badass. Edelgard is a badass, dude. Like, the fact that you she is... Agree, you're wrong. You said okay what? Opinion. I said if you, disregard, if you disagree, you're wrong. It's okay to have an opinion. <laughs> 
but not if you're that wrong. Yeah, like I, 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 what I liked about her is that so for Claude, we said there's always this air of mystery about him. You didn't know what he was thinking at every time, every moment. With Edelgard, I liked how she was a leader. She's a strong leader. I'm, uh, people are about to say Rusty's getting woke. I'm not. But what I liked is that as a leader, there wasn't this air of cockiness really about her. There are several times, Thacker, and I think you can agree, there are several times in the story where she doubts what they're doing. She doubts, she doubts, she, she doubts it. And I love, I love that vulnerability. Like I said early in the year, early in the year we had for Horizon Forbidden West, I wish that Aloy had had a little bit of that vulnerability because I feel like that would have led to more character growth. And I feel like Edelgard having that vulnerability, it leads to more character growth. Go ahead. Like she, she's got so much more, especially when towards the end of the game where she's like, I don't know if we should really continue this. I don't know if this is the right steps. I just don't know. You really saw more character development with her than mm-hmm. I feel like you would have with either of the, of the other two, whether it was Dimitri of Azure Gleam or Claude of Golden Wildfire. No, I and agree. I agree. And I think the one, I think the only reason I would have picked Dimitri to follow is not even necessarily for him, but more so for who he brings along with him. Like to be yeah. honest, he does have a pretty um, cool house. I'm not gonna lie. I'm not. I'm. I'm gonna butcher this name just because we don't see him enough going from Edelgard's side. But uh, to do. Oh, Dadeway, yeah. Yeah, Deadway. I knew I was going to. No, he's uh, awesome. I, I, I am in my three houses playthrough. I'm trying to recruit him right now. <laughs> like, I think, I think he is probably him and Felix. I would honestly. Felix is pretty cool. I feel like those two are the only two that I would actually use if I went with Dimitri. Well, and there's a lot of like I think what both of these Fire Emblem games have done really well is they've balanced out all three houses because in all three houses, you've got characters that are really good. Obviously, we know more about the Black Eagles because we've been a part of the Black Eagles. So we know about, obviously, having the the the, the spell-casting power of Hubert. Dorothy is really good. Linhart's really good for that. I've used him as a healer in both of these games primarily whenever I've used him. Uh, and then, obviously, you know, while I may not love their characters, you know, Ferdinand and Caspar are good, you know, heavy soldiers, whether on horseback or armored behind a shield. Every house is like that, though. Every house has that kind of balance where there's things this house is good at that these other two houses might not be as good at, and vice versa. And so I think that the balancing in this game is done really well. Now, talking about talking about the story, the story is really, really intriguing because... It, again, it kind of takes a little bit of a, of a turn from what Three Houses was like, which was, you know, your students at the academy and you're going into battle, you know, here and there. Um, and if I butcher any part of the story, forgive me, I'm still playing through Three Houses and that game is really long. So <laughs> that game is really long. So forgive me. Um, Rusty, you will mute your audio. But, but one thing, one thing that is interesting from both of these is that so... Edelgard in Three Houses had this plot and was waiting for the right moment to take down uh, Lady Rhea and the church, to take them down, and the, you know, the soldiers of Saros to take them down. Well, in taking down the leaders that you do as Shez early in the game, basically the storyline is now moved up a lot, and that now 
Hubert and Edelgard, when they're talking about their plans, they're like, hey, we now have an opening that we didn't have before. And it's an opening they wouldn't have had for years based on the timeline. So that leads Edelgard and, you know, the Black Eagles to essentially, and the Empire, and the Adrestian Empire, to essentially perform this coup to take down the church, take down Lady Rhea, you know, overthrow Garrig Mock Ministry, or Monastery, and... All of a sudden, you're in this full-blown war with the Kingdom of Fargus, with the Leicester, the Leicester Alliance. Like you're you're in this full-blown war, and you're having to form alliances with people. You're having to try to recruit people from other sides. I know Thacker, you did that a lot more than me. I just didn't see much of a really a, a positive to doing all that. I kind of just didn't I really think- notice it. But talk a little about that because I thought that is it's a really interesting concept to be able to you know take people from other houses. Uh, like Lorenz, Ignatz, the guy, that, the guys that we were able to take from uh, the kingdom. Yeah, honestly, after doing that, I went back through and looked up a like list of who all you can recruit. There's so many more that I didn't even think of. Oh, there's a ton. Like, oh, dude, like I never recruited Ash. I never recruited Constance, um, Happy, or Happy. Um, <laughs> If apparently, we butcher if we butcher any na- any names, forgive us. <laughs> apparently, you could recruit um, Gerald. Yeah, yeah, I've heard the same. Like, apparently, you you could have recruited him. Like, if you go through one of the um, other stories, you could recruit Catherine. That is really interesting. Is Catherine's actually badass in Three Houses? That's pretty interesting. Exactly. Like, there are so many characters I didn't even know you could recruit. And I found out one character that, um, spoilers, is actually not on your side like you think they are. And I don't know if you knew this, but Arval? Oh, no, Arval's evil. Arval yeah, is I, Arval is really evil. Have you actually seen what he looks like? She, well, she, but yeah. She, my bad. <laughs> Well, right. I haven't I haven't seen that, but I think that this is a good segue to kind of talking about some of the big differences in the timeline because of Three Hopes. Um, I just realized I didn't even answer your, uh, your question of what you were talking about. No, yeah, you're fine, dude. It's all the same. It's all good. It's just same same thing, different shape. Anyways, uh, as we say in journalism, close enough. Close enough. So the biggest <laughs> difference in this game is obviously we've mentioned that you play as this mercenary named Shez. Well, for someone that played Three Houses, you're probably wondering, okay, so where is Byleth in all this? Well, the biggest difference is Byleth now becomes essentially the main antagonist, or one of the main antagonists, along with Gerald. They both become antagonists in all of this, depending how you play it out. Now, for me, I thought that the proper canonical ending, and I still hold true to this, is that your whole goal has been to take down Byleth, known as the Ashen Demon, which, by the way, badass nickname. That's absolutely badass. They they got it from Dark Souls. It's Ashen One. The Ashen One. Oh my God! But <laughs> but I I love that again. It's those parallels to Three Houses. I love it. People are gonna get sick of me saying that. But that is honestly what makes this game great, in my opinion, is the parallels to Three Houses to where, you know, you play as Byleth for that 50, 60, 70 hour at minimum adventure. You play as Byleth and, you know, Gerald obviously dies early on in that game. Well, 
it's really interesting to have a different dynamic with both of those characters now. They're both villains. They're both assholes now. And the whole time, you know, Shez early on, essentially, I don't want to say becomes possessed, but essentially is becomes one with this entity known as Arval in the same way that Byleth in Three Houses becomes one with Sothis. Uh, and that ends up leading to this clash between Shez and Byleth several times throughout the story. I thought the canon- canonical ending, deservedly so, was you killing Byleth because it's just what made the most sense to me. Now, if you did the right chain of events and you were able to recruit Byleth, you would then find out that Arval is actually really, really evil and pretty much wants to, what, take over the world, Thacker? Or destroy the I world. Ending. Like, I won't even. I, I, I've I've watched the ending and like without context, it's really hard to talk about. But Arval essentially is not really is is up to pretty much no good. Uh, but even still, I really felt like knowing that Arval was a relatively evil character. I think there's a lot to be said that I liked the character development for Arval because at the start when you first meet Arval. She, Arval is pretty much like, you know, you need to kill the Ashen Demon, you need to get stronger, you don't need to be wasting your time, you don't need to show any hesitant, any any resistance to any of that. Well, over time, Ar- she really starts to become more in tune with Shez and starts to understand kind of Shez's point, points of view as a mercenary, as a human being, and not as some goddess or as some, you know, higher entity. And I think that that really works, again, just in terms of... Rela- Fire Emblem games have always been about relationship building. And there's a lot of that in this game. But I really think that relationship really blossoms well throughout this game. And I loved where it ended off. Obviously, for the ending that we got, you know, we took down Lady Rhea. We took down the ones that slither in the dark. We took them down. Which, by the way, that is one of the weirdest names to call a group ever. Um, Those who slither in the dark. It sounds like my old Xbox profile. Dude, it sounds like like a heavy metal like underground punk band. <laughs> That's what it sounds like. Tell me I'm wrong. <laughs> like, tell me I'm wrong. Um, like, here's the funny thing about that. New age the, emos are going to start listening to them. Oh, my God. Please fucking don't. <laughs> but here, here's the thing. The first time I ever heard Hubert say that, I was like, okay, so this is just like the nickname for them. And then somebody from Those Who Slither in the Dark popped up on screen. And, you know, every time a character that's named enters battle they get a little intro and it said those who slither in the dark i said you've got to be fucking shitting me i was like this is real this is actually what they're called <laughs> that's one of like the few negatives is that is a really weird name like like how could it take the like 25 minutes more to figure out a better name like for real like you could have just called them like the dark snakes or something you didn't have to call them those who slither like for real you could have called them you could have gone into like a google word random word generator and probably come up with a better name than that um but through the dictionary like six times and like stop on a page and then just pick a random word just point at a random word do that three times and there's your name like, <laughs> I'm pretty sure that would have worked. But anyways, you get to the end where you take them down and, you know, you hear you know, Geralt's voiceover because he obviously the voice actor for Geralt does like the whole narration bit. And he talks about how, 
you know, the war rages on and it'll rage on for several more years with the empire slowly gaining and losing ground. It seems like the end is never in sight. Blah, blah, blah. It sounds like a pretty dark ending, but the funny thing is is that the entire cutscene that happens before it does not give that kind of vibe off at all. Nope. It, it really doesn't give that vibe off at all. And that's what leads me to believe this is the canonical ending, at least for this, like, for this, like, you know, path. For the Ed- for Edelgard's path. It feels like this is the, the, the ending you should want. Now, of course, there will be people that play through it and probably disagree with that. And if you do, that, I mean, I think that's what's great about Fire Emblem games is that typically their stories are pretty open-ended. They're pretty open to interpretation. You know, there might be some that are clearly evil, some that are clearly good. But I don't know. I felt really good about the ending I got. Maybe I'm completely off base. And if I am, holy shit. <laughs> and here's the thing, like, for the those of y'all that are still with us at this point in the episode, like, for real, reach out and let us know if you if you agree. Because, oh, like, sure. fuck. For I want to sure. know. But I, I think might that... Just, just to get it out of the way, play Dimitri's part next. I don't know that I could do that. I definitely would pick Claude next. But I think uh, that... I, the worst out of the way. I... I, I don't know if this game will end the year in my top five. It probably won't, looking down the pipe. Obviously, we just got a God of War Ragnarok announcement, finally, for November. Obviously, we've got Last of Us Part 1 that's that's coming down the pipe. Modern Warfare 2 is going to be really good. we got Xenoblade Chronicles 3. I think that this is a good, this is a good kind of... I'm trying to think of the right term here. Kind of a get-back game for Nintendo because... I mean, I'm not going to lie. Mario Strikers, if you've heard our episode on that, you know that we didn't exactly love that game. And then Switch Sports we liked, but again, it was really sparse on content. This is a good return to form. If you if you look at Nintendo's, like, like what they've released so far this year, Nintendo is low-key had a really, really solid year because Pokemon Legends RCS, you've got Kirby in the Forgotten Lands, you've got... You know, obviously Strikers and Switch Sports. I feel like I'm missing a really big game somewhere in there. You've got this, obviously. Um, they they're gonna have they're gonna have Pokemon Scarlet, Scarlet and Violet. Violet. They're gonna have that. I mean, I, I think that as a whole, this has been a really solid year for Nintendo. And I think that there's still room, obviously, for it to get better. I mean, I think, keep in mind, for Nintendo, we still don't have, like, a Breath of the Wild 2 announcement. I think that's pretty safe. It's safe to say I think that's gonna be 2023. At least that's just what I think. Um, but I think that Fire Emblem Warriors Three Hopes is a really high quality game. I will say performance was not the biggest fan of performance wise. Um, even knowing that it's a switch game, I was disappointed that, uh, in handheld boy, the frame rate chugs, it chugs. Ooh, it, it was, it was down around 20 FPS probably at its worst. And, and- you played this entire game handheld, didn't you? Um, I played probably about four hours docked of the 25 yeah. hours. I played... So, Steve, yeah. You and I about flipped it. I played about two hours of it handheld. The rest was docked. Even still with it being docked, I'm not going to lie, I noticed a lot of frame rate drop as well. Yeah. Because as much as I love the Switch, I don't think it has the capacity to run that much on the screen at one time. Yeah, I've said this, that if if they ever make an improved model of the Switch, which Nintendo probably won't ever do, I, I, I'm not talking about the OLED either, because in the OLED they kind of they kind of fumbled the bag on the OLED as well. I mean, I think that the... I've said this before, and this is kind of a weird like side note to put into this episode, but we're going to do it anyways. I wish that the Switch had a slightly more powerful processor than it does. It's, it's kind of got a weaker processor, so it's it's, you know... 
what what we see on screen frame rate wise is a result of that. I also wish that, especially knowing how small um, M2 SSDs are, and they're pretty damn small. They're like the size of a stick of gum. They're not very big. I really wish that the storage would have been an SSD. I know that would have made the switch more expensive to make, but I really feel like that would have helped performance, and that is why we see some of these games don't perform very well. But I will say this. I remember when Fallout 4 first came out, and people said that this game is an example of you don't need the world's greatest performance to be a great game because a lot of people consider it to be a great game and it's not the greatest performing game. I think this is another really good example that this is still a great game. It just doesn't have the greatest performance. Thacker, do you believe that to be the be the the case? With that, honestly, because game games a lot of fun. Performance wise, it's lacking. I I, w- I would highly agree with that. Yeah, I feel that. I think that. I think that this is, I don't want to call this a must-own for a Nintendo Switch. It kind of sounds crazy. I think that every Nintendo Switch owner should own this game, should play this game. Uh, it's personally my favorite Musou game, even though I don't have as much experience in the genre. But I think Fire Emblem Warriors Three Hopes is a high-quality game. Again, I would give it a 9 out of 10. Thacker, rating-wise, we don't normally give number ratings on this on this podcast. Where do you sit on this game? Um, if I'm taking everything into consideration on this and just doing an overall rating on it, I'd, I'd give it a solid eight out of 10. That's good. That's a solid score. Like, honestly, especially with it being a Nintendo game. And as everyone knows, I'm not the biggest Nintendo love. Um, Matt's definitely got, I would say all of us beat on that one. (laughs) Just a little bit. With the exception of maybe Pokemon, because Rusty takes that one from all of us, hands down. Damn doesn't right. Matter, doesn't matter who you're talking to. The man has more ta- Pokemon tattoos than I do. The five, I got five AV tattoos, bro. Ain't nobody topping me. <laughs> um, I think by the time I die, I will probably max out on two or three. Um, <laughs> Rusty will have me beat regardless. But no, like honestly, I feel like out of this game, eight out of ten is a solid score on it, especially because of the simple fact of the game looks really good. It plays really well, other than like frame rate, of course. But the main savior for this game is the story, hands down. The story, the characters, the gameplay is fantastic. We didn't even really talk much about the gameplay. The gameplay is really, really good. It does feel button mashy at times, but the combos you're able to put together, the special moves, like. I don't know what the most damage I did in the game one time was, but I remember doing one special move with an entire mob of enemies in front of me, and I ended up doing like 6 million damage. Say, I'm with you on that one. I actually, uh, one thing I really loved about this, you're able to partner with another ally. Yeah. And when you use your, like, big special move, they do theirs and then you do yours as well. In the final battle, I actually partnered with Edelgard just because Edelgard and Chev were the two highest levels I had. Yeah. So I was like, you know what? they're the sh- two strongest. I've maxed out everything on them. Let's just go ahead and do something with that. So did the ultimate move, and I think my total damage on that was roughly about 15 mil. Jesus, that's a lot of that's a lot of damage. It was a lot of damage. I was like Tell me why I didn't just like record this because <laughs> holy cow. Yeah, that's, for real. For a Muso game, especially, 
it's made to make sure you hit those high counters and hit those high damages. But I don't think I've seen a Musou game put it together that well. Well, I'll take it a step further. What I also loved was the strategic aspect of it. This is how I really started like flying through battles and really like racking up the S ratings was, you know, using the four, you know, and, and just for anyone who's curious, my four mains that I went into battle with were Shez, Edelgard, Petra, and Monica. Those were the four that I went into battle with regularly. You said that's, what? That's, I said really, because that's interesting. I I never used Monica other than when I had to, because my four were Shez, um, Edelgard, Petra, and Lorenz. So I swapped out typically, like, I think that Monica was the one that I would swap out. She was actually my MVP three or four times, believe it or not. She was actually really, really good. Um, I would swap her out for, you know, Dorothea or Hubert or Linhart if I felt like I needed a different kind of magic. Um, but I, I primarily I, I primarily stuck with Monica unless I swapped her out for another character. But I loved how, you know, you can go into the map and you can send them to different spots and be like, hey, you take this stronghold, you take this one, you take this one. It really it gives meaning to leveling up other characters. It gives meaning to that because you want them to be strong enough to where on their own, they're able to go take down a stronghold to where that way you can go focus on a big battle that's happening. If, you know, a demon spawns in the middle or a giant wolf spawns in the middle of the battle, you want to go deal with that while they're cap capping all of the stronghold points. And I think that, that that strategy aspect of it, that's Fire Emblem at its best, in my opinion, is when it adds that real-time strategy, I love that. I, lo- I love that part of it. That's it, it made me analyze, like, how am I starting these battles out? How, like, what am I, where am I, start? what are the starting positions I'm at? Is there any way I can do this to where I can take advantage and end these battles faster? There, there were, it made me think a lot, and... I don't love when a game makes me think, but this was like the one exception where I was like, I like that this game made me made me think about my choices a little bit more than I did in battle. I like that. Now, obviously, me and Thacker, we did not do the classic mode where when a character dies, they die. Nope. Um, because oh, I, 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 get, I got too emotionally attached to some of the characters. I'm not going to let them die and feel that heartbreak. But I think that, again... This game is really good. I think that there's definitely a case for this game to be Nintendo's best game of the year thus far. Up there with Pokemon Legends Arceus and hopefully when Scarlet and Violet release, Kirby was really good. We're hoping Xenoblade 3 is going to be good. You know, I, I think that this is a really, really high quality game. It's I think it's a game that's getting slept on a lot right now because obviously it's not an overly popular genre. Uh, but I definitely think that people need to... If you're looking for a new game to try and you want to step out of your comfort zone, I think this is the one for you. It's not necessarily in my comfort zone, but I absolutely loved Fire Emblem Warriors Three Hopes. So, that is our review. That is going to do it for this episode of Side Mission. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Side Mission Pod. You can follow Thacker, Kyle, Matt, and myself on Twitter as well. For Thacker, I'm Rusty Ellis. Thanks for listening.